This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. When you're a finalist for Top Producer of the Year, you're doing something right. Kelsey Ducheneau from the DX Ranch is my guest. We discuss the ways they found to raise grass and cattle in a better way and what all of us can learn from their work. It's a process that allows them to care for the land, gain more profits, and help their community. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside and is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. In 2020, I had the chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's the weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable, more productive yields than ever before. Our 2021 trial is well underway, and I'll be sharing my findings throughout the season. We'll be looking at how Pivot Bioproven can help supply corn with the nitrogen it needs throughout the season, and that hopefully means the use of less synthetic nitrogen in the future, saving us money while still supplying the corn with the nutrients it needs. Pivot Bioproven may change the way you think about nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. The DX Ranch looks beyond what most ranchers see. Kelsey Ducheneau views her operation not just from the time her family has been on the land, but for many generations before her. Perhaps that's what leads her to do some things differently. She's a self-described soil and grass nerd, looking at ways to raise cattle in harmony with what her grass and her land can provide. She's an astute businesswoman, which has led her to begin marketing her beef in a new way for the ranch, but the family also has an eye for the needs around them, looking to help consumers that live nearby. It's a story from which we can all learn, as Kelsey describes what her family does on the DX Ranch. Kelsey Ducheneau is my guest, and Kelsey and her father and family farm in central South Dakota near Gettysburg, and I'm really excited to get to visit with you, Kelsey. I've been wanting to talk for a while since your ranch was honored as one of the top producer finalists back in the winter. Maybe you can fill us in, first of all, on the ranch, maybe the history, and what perhaps led you then to become a finalist, because obviously you're doing some things well if you're a finalist for top producer. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you very much for the chance to visit today. Um, my name is Kelsey Ducheneau-Scott. I am the fourth generation rancher on the DX Ranch, but I always like to um, make sure and mention that I'm of the 125th plus generation to get a chance to steward this landscape. Um, our family operation uh, is here on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation, and we're really fortunate to be able to ranch along the Missouri River banks um, of Lake Oahe. We are a cow-calf operation that is currently in the transition and growth phase into uh, marketing 100% of our beef uh, in the direct-to-consumer model, selling packaged frozen beef as opposed to selling specifically cattle or calves at the sale barn every fall. Um, We run around 280 head of cow-calf pairs currently Um, Our goal is to get to 125 of our best producing mama cows and to be able to retain 100% of our calf crop and finish them out here on our our grassland pastures. 
and uh, be able to market them locally and try to help heal that broken food system that we all seem to be suffering from. I want to get over to your, your marketing, some of that in a moment, but I want to start first with just talk about the, the grass there where you're at. I know you, you cover quite a few acres, I think, there on the reservation and, and perhaps other areas as well. But what is the grass like? Because that's a big deal for you. And I've kind of read your bio and what you do. But having productive grassland is, is where it starts, it sounds like, for you all. Oh, absolutely. Well, if any of my family was joining me on this interview, they would make sure to mention to you that I'm a grass and soil nerd. Um, I learned very quickly in uh, being in the cattle business that uh, it, it you have to be thinking about the livestock above ground and below ground. And soil health is so critical to a productive and resilient ecosystem. Um, my my pat, our grazing system here um, on our land is really focused on mimicking nature and the way that this ecosystem evolved was having large cloven hooved animals of bison and, and other wildlife grazing through this pace grazing through this place um, at a pace that allowed for a robust rest period so we practice rotational grazing here we're in the northern mixed grass prairie so we see um, a good variety of cool and warm season some native and some introduced, um, both plant species. Um, we really focus on embracing a rotational pattern that contributes to more biodiversity. So the more plant species that we can see, um, that we take that as an indication that we're doing our job right. And we're bringing back more of that um, biodiversity, more, more plants that have an extended growing period across the whatever whatever mother nature wants to throw at us for a weather pattern from one growing season to the next and um, hopefully having a more robust palate and nutritional um, component out there on the landscape kind of a, a salad bar for our cattle to graze through you mentioned earlier that you're the 125th generation that would have in a sense uh, farmed or managed this grass and i have a feeling that you mentioned that knowing that you look to some of what used to be done and that put that into your operation today. That sounds like what's happening, but I'm wondering what you would tell the rest of us that are out here farming and ranching about how we should perhaps look beyond some of our most recent generations and look back to see what we can learn and how we should manage things today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that question. Um, I think that it's really important just to really value and appreciate that us as humans, we're simply another biological species that's a part of this greater ecosystem and figuring out ways that we can plug and play into this system to contribute to, you know, more robust and resilient components and processes within the system. Um, we're, we're really excited to be able to see the progress and the trend of our soil health uh, increasing with each production year. Um, we're seeing animal health increase as a result of it. And, you know, in, la in the last year, we've been able to provide more access to a healthy local regenerative beef source to uh, local consumers than, you know, than was there the year prior. So we feel like we're also contributing to helping uh, a more robust and healthier, you know, human community as well in this ecosystem and trying to figure out ways that we can just give back to the local individuals that are, you know, in, in need of access and reconnection to their food source. Um, I think that we have to try to figure out 
or, you know, one thing that I think of often is, well, if humans weren't in this system messing it up, <laughs> what would Mother Nature have had happen, right? So when you see a, what's considered a pest out there in your operation, you know, what would Mother Nature have done to correct this? Or what have we done to cause and invite this pest in? And just trying to kind of shift that mindset around what our job is as managers and, and remembering that we're a part of the system too. And most often when we're seeing something degrading within the system or, or the system isn't working the way that we'd like it to or the crop is failing, um, most often it, it's our mindset and our management that has contributed to that. It's not always our fault. Sometimes we don't, we don't know better or we can't afford to do better. Uh, a lot of us are, you know, victim to that commodity credit cycle that I like to say is, is really preventing a lot of that shift towards a more regenerative path in agriculture. But um, when, when we can at least appreciate and value that our management is contributing to the trends that we're seeing, it really helps to shift shift into an understanding and appreciation for the humans being a part of the system. You mentioned some of the things that you perhaps do a little bit differently there. If a rancher was to step onto your ranch, would we notice a lot of differences in, in how you're managing and what you're doing? Is it noticeable that you've taken these steps and, and then what can we learn from those steps that you've taken? Yeah, well, I'd like to think that it's becoming increasingly more noticeable. <laughs> um, we, you'll see a lot of hot wire paddocks across our, our landscape. Um, where we originally uh, on around 7,000 acres, we had four pastures when my grandfather was um, the the head rancher on the place. You know, we're now closer to 14 permanent pastures. Um, within those 14 permanent pastures, we do a lot of cross fencing, kind of listening to the landscape. What What's she telling us? Is there a monoculture stand of smooth brome on the east edge of this pasture that we should come in and hit earlier on in the season so that those warm season grasses can come up or is the clover taking hold down on the river do we need to kind of rotate through in a way that gets the best utilization of the grazing days that we have and in impacts the plant community the way that we hope to have it impacted so that we can invite in an even more desirable community the following year. Um, so really it's just having that, you know, flexibility in our management and the adaptability and, and just listening to what the landscape's telling us because, you know, she knows better than we do. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know more, but if we can just um, listen to her a little bit better, she'll, she'll typically let us know what she's needing. Um, we calve in May. Uh, our first calf hit the ground this year, May 1st. Um, and that has significantly reduced our stress load um, through the winter. For one, we don't have to start feeding our cows so early on in, in so many of the harsh months of winter. We're, we're out there grazing. Our, our cows' um, nutritional need hasn't spiked yet until winter's starting to break. Um, and so it's significantly reduced our feed costs. Um, and then labor and equipment has uh, tended to break down at an, uh, a significantly less rate, not having to be out there in the often brutal snowstorms that we see through March and April, um, and just knowing that we're planning to see calves hit the ground, most often on, on dry ground or at least uh, thawed ground throughout May. And we've seen our herd health has improved significantly. Our calves don't get sick as near as often throughout the season. 
because their immune system hasn't ever really been stressed until they actually have the ability to have an immune system later on in their life when winter hits them for their first time as weaned calves. Um, other things that we do just within our management, um, we're constantly walking around behind the cows, taking a look at their poop, right? And seeing, you know, what, what does our dung beetle health look like? Um, what, what is their, uh, their dung telling us as far as, is it a good balance of, of protein and roughage out there on the landscape that they're grazing? Are they, are they wasting that energy source out there because it's too rich for them or are they, they having a chance to fully process and, and build up from, from what the land has given them in the form of grass? And uh, we don't use uh, pest, uh, any sort of, you know, porons broad across the entire herd. You know, if there is a particular cow that has a, um, a high parasite load that you can see visibly, uh, we'll treat that cow and she kind of goes into our list of critters to cull because we want um, a, a herd that matches the ecosystem here and that can naturally fight off those pests and insects that um, kind of degrade on their production across the year so that we can focus on profitability on the individual cow by cow basis. Very interesting. I, I would love to talk more about that piece, but there's this other piece that we want to get to, of course, which is the marketing of this beef, because that has been a big change for the DX Ranch. Walk us into how did you begin to make this decision? Was it simply we can get more dollars doing it this way? There's also this piece of food insecurity and meeting consumer demands both locally and perhaps far off what was the mixture of these components that helps make you decide that we are going to begin to market more of our beef directly yeah so i found out very quickly when i come home from college with my natural resources degree that uh, as much as i wanted to i personally just couldn't impact the land the way that it needed to so for fortunately for me my family was willing to allow me to buy into um, cattle and, and to kind of increase my stake on the ranch here and participate more in the management of the landscape. And um, I got so attached to that first calf crop that I had. I mean, I might as well have had names and birth certificates for every calf out there <laughs> that came from my cow herd because I just, I spent so much time stressing over them and watching them and figuring out if they, you know, obsessive over it because it was so exciting to be in the game, so to speak. And, you know, I, the love and the um, connection that I ended up gaining with my stock that fall when we, when we pulled cows off the cows and we sold them at the sale barn, um, you know, it, it just, it wasn't nearly as satisfying as knowing where they were going, right? You know, we, we hauled them to the sale barn and, um, oh boy, the sale barn sure treated us good. They took really good care of us and, and they appreciated and they valued the quality of cattle that we brought them. They did, they did their job right, you know, and, and then at the end of the day though, I went home and I didn't know where my calves went. I didn't know what their life was going to be like at that next step. I didn't know if they were going to be out on grass or if they were headed to a feedlot or which state they were going to. And it, it was kind of heartbreaking for me in an odd sense. And, and when I came home, you know, I, I drove through two counties that faced food insecurity and I just was like, Oh, you know, the system's so broken here on Cheyenne river. We have 
or up to 80,000 head of cattle grazing on 3.2 million acres. And there isn't enough, there isn't any local beef being packaged available for purchase. Like we're raising some prime cattle here. The beef is phenomenal, but none of us get to eat it. And so I just so happened to be in a master's program online at that time with Colorado State University. And that master's program is a little bit different. It's not one where you have to write and defend thesis. It's one where you put together a comprehensive project and proposal. And uh, so I remember coming home that day and, and scribbling down a bunch of ideas around, you know, putting together a business plan to be able to direct market beef or, or to make beef available. At the time, I didn't know what marketing channel I was going to use, but uh, my master's program kind of helped walk me through those pieces. And uh, before we knew it, we were selling quarters of beef. Um, I think in 2019, we, we sold like 12 animals total in the form of quarters. And uh, I kind of joke that I transitioned out of the bootlegging phase of business of beef business into the beef business um, by realizing that, you know, there's so many moving parts and pieces into uh, getting into the direct to consumer market and, and knowing how you can market your products and how you have to label them and, and where you can have them processed and, you know, where you can sell them, who you can sell to, how you can sell it. There is a lot. Um, and in 2020, um, we kind of had projected or made it a goal to accelerate our um, our transition into direct-to-consumer. Uh, we have some really great um, partners in, with, at our local butcher shop here, Brock's Butcher Block in Oneida, South Dakota, uh, is a state-inspected facility, which then allows us to get our beef processed there so that we can resell it by the pound. And um, our growth curve as far as goals for processing animals and scheduled butchering slots folded in directly into a shortage in the beef supply as a result of the COVID pandemic. And I remember coming home in March, I, our biggest shipment of beef coming in at that time was around like 1,700 um, pounds. And I hauled all of that beef in alone to the house and put it in the freezer. And I remember sitting on the front porch, kind of catching my breath thinking, you're crazy. There's no way you're going to get rid of this beef. Like, you, you're, what are you going to do? You know, like, this is insane. And we sold out of that beef within two weeks because COVID hit and people realized how insecure relying on the local grocery stores can be and how that, that um, channel of, of purchasing can be disrupted so easily here in rural South Dakota. So we, in 2020, processed closer to 100 head of cattle um, and sold them direct to consumer through um, in the form of, of packaged beef. And we're trending for um, even more to be sold in 2021. And it's, it's been a wild ride, a ride that causes a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> Um, you, you expose yourself to a whole new clientele that you're trying to appeal to than when you go into the sale barn, that's for sure. Um, but it, it really is so satisfying. And one of the things that I really have come to love and appreciate and value is that um, having someone tell you your beef was, tasted good or, or talking about bringing their family together around a product that you put so much time and energy into growing and raising, that experience 
is what makes the sleepless nights and the blizzards feeding cows and the rainy days sludging through the mud, checking on calves. That's what makes it all worth it. There's so much that I could ask in this. And I think so many ranchers are interested in this. It, It appears that it has gone pretty well for you at this point. Are you marketing most of this then just over the internet? Is it folks from far away? Is it folks local? What's the the mix of your clientele? Yeah, so we have a website, dxbeef.com, and that is where we make all of our sales is through the website there. Um, About 90% of our product um, is sold right here on Cheyenne River. So we sell within two counties, basically, Dewey and Zeebok County. Um, and, and that's just where a lot of our demand has been. We do have some clientele um, in, in the more um, urban populations, Rapid City, South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, and we, we schedule deliveries to those places in like a quarterly basis. Uh, but by and large, it's, it's just been our local communities that have learned the value and the taste difference and the um, you know, just, just the overall experience that they get in being able to buy their product directly from the producer. They get to know more about their food source. They they value and appreciate that the quality and the content of the product is definitely different. And, you know, from a, a health and wellness standpoint, there's starting to be more and more research that showcases our gut biome is reflected out there in the soil biome and the soils that we're exposed to. And the the best way to promote health and wellness of your immune system is to be, you know, feeding that the healthy bugs in your gut biome. And the best way to do that is to, you know, drive the nutrition from the landscape upon which all of that bacteria exists. Um, it's kind of funny to be in the food business thinking about wanting bacteria there in your food but there's there's good bacteria and and um we we definitely need to really think about nourishing our entire system and and that starts with knowing where your food's coming from i i've been on your website just with the ranch and you do so much i mean we haven't even gotten to the horse side of things and you have internships and guests can come there and visit take just a moment to kind of give me the the one or two minute overview of what else DX Ranch does, because it's it's really an amazing story. And certainly you've done a lot right being a finalist uh, this past year with Top Producer. Well, thank you very much for that praise. It, it is uh, absolutely a joy to be able to, to do the work that we get to do. I would say that by and large, our work here on the ranch is, is being a steward in the industry um, that's taking care of the land and the stock and the people and what that has led us into is figuring out how we can help to teach others and educate others about what it is we're doing out here on the landscape. Um, we have a nonprofit organization, Project Help. Help is spelled H3LP. Um, that nonprofit is our way of working to interact with local youth and getting involved with them to help them understand what you know what what's out here on the landscape and what can we learn from it and. Um, we, we practice horse thoughtful interactions with horses to help them um, establish and refine them life skills that will carry them out into the world to being you know successful and, and contributing community members. Um, we also offer internships and ranch vacations and you know um, 
I would call them apprenticeships where they're a little more, you know, shorter in length than an internship um, for individuals to come in and to learn more about the work that we're doing, um, whether that be in the horsemanship realm or if they're interested in learning more about the the cow-calf business or or even our direct-to-consumer approach to marketing our beef. Um, Our goal really is to use this space and life that we get to have to share the messaging of ag producers and to help heal that food system as a whole. And a lot of times that requires educating consumers and community members too, to know that that they can also demand a difference. Kelsey, again, thank you for the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I sure, sure look forward to learning more about all of these great operations all across the country. You can find the DX Ranch north of Pierre, South Dakota. Be sure to look them up online as well. Just go to thedxranch.com. You'll enjoy seeing some of the pictures from the ranch and learning more about their story. I appreciate you joining us either on your local radio station or via the podcast. Remember to follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook or catch updates by following me on platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter as well. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.